This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today on the podcast, this is going to be our last episode of 2023. You dropped a bomb on me 10 minutes ago that you're going to Disney World next week. So we had to quickly pivot everything to do our year-end rewind today. But we're going to look back at all the headlines. We're going to find out everything that happened. And we're going to maybe you know share some thoughts for 2024. Well, this is the thing, Corey. You, you really wanted to drop this and do the episode on the 19th, but that's not possible. So we're doing it a couple days in advance. Yeah. But I still think we can talk mainly about what happened in 2023. Although it's been such a volatile environment, you know, who knows, by Tuesday, it might be very different. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited to hear of what happened in 2023 and where the opportunities are in 2024. Yep. Should be a good one, guys. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so I'm here with Corey Wright, my co-host. I would say uh, you are the host, but again, we're turning the tables. We're putting it on you. I'm going to ask some questions. I don't think these are are tough ones, but we'll see. You haven't seen them yet. I have not seen these yet, so yeah, I'm so very, very I'm gonna excited. I'm going to open the envelope right now. Um, yeah, here we go. Okay, there it is. <laughs> and the winner is <laughs> first question for you, Corey. And again, we're talking, we're this is basically a, a recap of the commercial real estate market in British Columbia and Vancouver. What's the headline for 2023, Corey? <sighs> you know what? I just did an interview yesterday with a magazine, our publication, sorry, and they were asking kind of the same thing. And I think, I mean, there was really not a whole lot of surprises. So I think we'd have to fall back on if there was a surprise, it's got to be interest rates. Because I think right. if you look back early year, January, the feds kind of came out at, a, I think we we're around like a four was the BOC posted rate, the Bank of Canada posted rate at that time. It was about a four. And they're like, we're done. And you know, optimism crept in. People now started looking at a whole bunch of deals, all that stuff. And then come March, April, they're like, ha, tricked you all. We're going up. <laughs> And I think that was a lot of things that a lot of people didn't predict. And even when we had some great economists on this program, even they they also were kind of they were caught off guard because the numbers didn't point to that. And uh, come springtime, the numbers did move up and we've gone almost 100 basis points up since that time. We're now in our, what did we stop? We held first in September, I think it was. Right. So we're kind of like four months later, we're holding again, which is great. And down south, they announced yesterday that they're going to hold and potentially have three rate cuts and the Dow Jones went through the roof. So I think interest rates would have to be the headliner. There wasn't a whole bunch of surprises around that in very many asset classes, but interest rates, unexpected interest rate hikes uh, would be the headline for 2023. I feel like that was on the residential side as well. The minute it seemed like inflation was under control earlier on in the year, the the market took off on the residential side. Yep. But you're right. That's a. It was the big surprise when you know everybody thought we had it under control. It wasn't under control, and uh, the rate hikes increased again and again, and the market kind of just totally paused. One thing that is different between the residential market and the commercial market, and I'm curious to hear your take, is the stress test. Because yeah. one thing a lot of people don't realize is on the residential side, 
you have to qualify at 9% or whatever it yeah. is right now. And yeah. the, the commercial side, you don't have that, that stress test. Yeah, our stress test is for office building owners right now to see how much stress they can deal with as their building slowly <laughs> vacates. Uh, yeah, so in commercial, we don't have a stress test. I think the biggest thing you look at housing is a need, commercial is a want, right? So you don't have to own commercial real estate. It's a luxury if you can afford it or if you can create a syndicate. When I say it's a luxury, it's, it's a great investment, but it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of people or individuals can own it on their own. Not I shouldn't say that, not at today's prices. There's a lot of families that have acquired a lot before it cheaper. But now it's a lot of syndicates and you know friends getting together and stuff like that to make the numbers work. So we don't have a foreign buyer's tax when it comes to commercial investing. We don't have a stress test you have to qualify for. But banks internally will stress test commercial real estate mortgages at certain interest rates to see how does that loan to value look at. And one banker I was talking to, and I think right now we're looking at BOC rates are five. So prime at most banks is plus 2.2. So call it 7.2 where they're like looking at commercial loans for owner-occupiers and maybe some investors at like 8, 9, 10%. And it's not an official stress test put forward right. by the feds, but they're also looking at if rates trend this way, can this building make it work? So how banks will kind of look at it is it works now at, call it six and a half, but does this same loan work at eight and a half? So we're going we're gonna to pencil the loan maybe as if it is eight and a half. Right. And just get a smaller loan to value to the buyer to protect the bank's interest. So, so this is not, there's no government regulation around no. stress tests, but the 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 lenders are the, le- are the lenders are testing. the lenders will look at it internally. They'll look at investment portfolios, they'll look at owner-occupied portfolios and stuff like that. Because the bank doesn't want to, I mean, I'm not a, a banker, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty sure BMO loves lending money against real estate. I don't really think they want a million properties. No. <laughs> right. So they have to look at that. And as much as they they don't want to be in the property business per se on a regular basis, the, the lending business is more where they, they fall into the real estate realm. They want to make sure that the people they're lending to or companies they're lending to can afford the real estate, even if things get tougher. And I think when we look back in January, when a lot of people thought we're going to hold, I've been very vocal saying over this time period that demand has never been higher. People are just looking for a bottom. And I think when you look at the residential side, you do have the stress tests, obviously there that, that you have to qualify for the highest posted rate that bank has, not necessarily what you get from them. But when you look at, you have a housing problem already, you have construction costs at the level they're at and the land costs at where they're at and the debt markets where they're at, it's being very, it's very expensive to build right now. Mm-hmm. And you have record setting immigration on top of that. We didn't make any more land last time I checked. Our land is still constrained. And I think when you look at the geographical constraints we have, and now you throw on some political challenges that are into the marketplace that takes so long to get things built, demand's never been higher. So if I looked at the residential side as a buyer, maybe there's more like lateral moves that are coming where I can't go from my two-bedroom townhouse to a house, but I'm going to have to go like a two-bedroom to like a three-bedroom. I still want to move. There's still demand and there's still buyers to backfill it. So I think demand for both commercial and residential probably has never been higher just based on the number of people that are joining us in this province and the lack of product that we've been able to get out to them just with all the challenges surrounding the development community right now, that demand's probably never been higher. It's just people maybe haven't been able to afford what they want. So as rates kind of pull off, I would predict to be a lot more maybe lateral moves, maybe then step up type moves. And in commercial, we just don't really have a lot of inventory in a good year. And commercial, you have income-producing properties in, in most cases. If the market is really, really good, Subway's still paying $25 a foot. If the market tanks, guess what? Subway's still paying $25 a foot. And they're still selling subs. And they're still selling subs, right? <laughs> it's essential service. You got to eat. Yeah. So it's like, so stuff like that, the, the rent is the rent. And granted, there's t- challenges with tenants. It doesn't always just like, you know, you don't back a dump truck up and fill it with your rent money every month, some people think. But- the rent is the rent, right? So it's going to kind of still tick pretty close to what it is. You may have an extra vacancy here or there in a challenging market, but you I mean if you have a good tenant mix, you're still collecting rent to pay your mortgage, regardless to what the value of that property is in the snapshot. So if, as a seller, if I don't have to sell or I don't really want to sell, why would I sell right now? Yeah. Right. So the inventory levels have still remained quite low with it, and I think if you if you you know, maybe a, a headline A and a headline B is um, there wasn't fire sales really to speak of. There was probably better deals. Now, granted, development land was obviously more challenging. That's, that's its own thing. Hmm. But there hasn't been like fire sales of properties in communities 
that maybe we first thought was going to happen because sellers are kind of like, well, my rent's a hundred grand. And yeah, my building right now may be worth a couple hundred thousand dollars less than what it peaked at, but my rent's still a hundred grand and my mortgage is still my mortgage. So it's still getting paid. So if I do want to sell and I don't have to sell today, I'll just wait till 2024. Wait, wait for better times. So the headlines then are in a word, inventory. Lack of. Lack of inventory and interest rates. Lack of inventory, surplus on the interest rate side there. Okay. Uh, A couple questions about that because just for people out there that are wondering, loan to values, how do loan to values in terms of lending? Yeah. Because you're, we're basically one of the things that I'm taking away from what you're saying is there's a lot of newcomers to Canada. The demand on both the residential and commercial side is there, but a lot of people are on the sidelines either because- of uncertainty or because they can't swing it right now, yeah. financially, whatever it is, there's a lot of pent up demand on the sidelines. How have the capital costs changed since, you know, let's call it two years ago when interest rates were rock bottom? So let's say, for example, I take a property and again, I'm just going to throw numbers out there from a hypothetical scenario. So no one write these down and try to calculate it because I'm probably wrong. Okay. But if I have a property, let's <laughs> caveat, say- <laughs> caveat, these numbers don't work. Anyway, yeah, go on. These numbers don't work. So let's just say hypothetically, I had a property two years ago and I was buying it at a five cap rate, right? Okay. And and maybe I'm looking at interest rates at that time from a commercial side, three, 4%, give or take. Okay. I might've been able to buy that hypothetically, at 75% loan-to-value. So when I'm trying to figure out how much money do I need as a buyer, I take my 75, I minus 100, tells me I need a 25% down payment. Plus, I have closing costs. That's on top of it. But I need to buy that property, let's say, for $2 million. I need $500,000 as a down payment. I'm going to leverage 75% of the purchase price or $1.5 million. Right. Fast forward a couple of years, my interest rate's not three or four. Maybe it's five or six. And the cap rate is still five. So the income hasn't gone... Dramatic, the cap rate hasn't gone up dramatically to maybe offset that price because we're lacking inventory. So now that same property that I want to buy for $2 million that I could have got with $500,000 down, maybe I need to put a million down or maybe more than that 1.1 or 1.2, which lowers my loan to value, which means the bank's giving me less money. So if I want to buy that same asset, I've got to put that much more money down to acquire it. So we're seeing sort of 50%... Yeah, yeah, you're seeing, right now. you're seeing stuff like that. So when you look at markets that were like three and four cap rates and that are still trending in and around, that's, you know, the next topic we'll cover what didn't happen to cap rates is I can buy that same property, but I might need double the cash out of pocket now in some circumstances to buy that same property. So me as a buyer, if I have half a million bucks in my bank and the property is $2 million, I need a million dollars to buy that now. Maybe I don't have a million, so I've just got to wait. Yeah. Right. So there hasn't been, so that's how the banks obviously offset it through loan to value. And then you have debt servicing numbers and all of that, that also makes up like how much you can borrow as well as like the covenant of the tenants, who are the tenants, the length of leases. But my, my money isn't going nearly as far. And in some cases it might only go half as far as it could have if an interest rates were three and 4% right. versus five or six. So now as a buyer, I got to make a decision. Am so, I confident buying that same property at that same price or very close to that same price? but with double the money out of my bank account. Right. So in looking forward, so as you mentioned, Jerome Powell just said three rate cuts in the US next year yeah. is what, what he's expecting. I think in Canada, and this is Benjamin Tao is yeah, saying- CIBC. Yeah, a, a point and a half next year off, off the Bank of Canada overnight lending rate. We like Ben. Yeah. So let's just assume that yeah. that's, that's accurate. Yeah. You know, with these numbers, I always think back to Tiff Macklem saying, don't worry, guys, uh, interest rates are going to be low for, yeah, for, the, totally. for the next three or four well, years. Yeah. And that didn't actually prove to be true either. So you exactly. got to tr- take everything with a grain of salt. But so is it, so you saying the Bank of Canada's misled us, the it, public? I'm, I'm not, hey, I'm, I, I'm the, I just asked the questions, Rodney. I'm not yeah. saying anything. <laughs> I'm not making any accusations. You're kidding me. I don't want to get audited. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my question in terms of loan to value. How does that say a point and a half if, yeah. we, if interest rates go down a point and a half? Does that fundamentally change the capital requirements yeah. in, in this marketplace? So if you kind of look at it just from like a very like high level. So if, let's say, for example, I have like $10,000 a month coming in in base rent or my NOI is $10,000 per month. What the bank will do is they will look at a debt servicing ratio of maybe 1.2, 1.25. So for every dollar you have coming in, every dollar you owe the bank, you need a buck 25. That way there's a there's a room there. So let's just say hypothetically for my $10,000 coming in, the bank will give me credit for 8,000 of that. 
$2,000 is that debt servicing margin they want. And then we'll throw a vacancy rate in there. Let's say from a number's sake, 500 bucks a month. So of the 10,000 I have coming in, the bank will give me credit towards my mortgage of 7,500. Then within that $7,500 payment, I've got to pay principal and interest. So the more interest, the higher the interest rate, the more of that $7,500 payment is interest versus principal, which means I'm going to have to have a bigger down payment to make that $7,500 work. Mm-hmm. Versus as the interest rate falls, within that $7,500 glass jar, my principal payment is going up. Right. My interest is less. My payment's still roughly the same, but my portion of principal to interest is slightly different. Therefore, I need less down to buy the property. So my loan to value changes. So that's where... Again, that's that's probably like a very kindergarten example of it. There's a lot more that goes into it. But in a nutshell, I have a, a glass jar of 7500 bucks, and that's principal and interest. And that's all the bank will allow me to pay them per month. The more interest that's in that glass jar, the less principal that's in there, the more I have to put down. Okay. The more principal I build up in that glass jar, my interest rate slightly less. I have to put less down. So if I understand correctly, uh, just to spell it out very clearly, if we're moving into at least an an inflationary environment that's more predictable, more in line with what the Bank of Canada wants, and and interest rates are coming down, that creates certainty in the market for 2024, which which is good. That generally means more transactions, more people getting into the market. But there's the also the secondary impact of that, which means capital requirements are less onerous, meaning yeah. more people can actually play and more people can get you into got, the market. You got it. Because you have to remember, real estate's all leverage, right? That's that's what it is. Or that's what, that's how you sort of become really, really successful is you leverage a property correctly. So if I have $500,000, I can buy that property for $2 million, 500000 my money, sorry, 1.5 the banks, that property is going to be worth, say I hold it for 25 years and I've paid it off and maybe it's worth $2 million still or two point five. I've turned 500,000 out of pocket into 2.5. But if I put a million dollars down to buy it for two and I hold it for the same time period and I don't refinance any equity out of it, now I've taken double the money or a million to make 2.5. So my cash on cash return is half of what it would be. So as loan to values get better, interest rates come down, you can leverage real estate more aggressively. And that's how you can acquire more properties and sort of build those big nest eggs versus having to put down a ton of capital right now to acquire the same property that you may be able to acquire in a year or two years with far less capital. So one thing that you talked about earlier that I just wanted to to touch on because, and and it's rents, right? You said, you know, Subway's paying 25 bucks a foot. They're still paying 25 bucks a foot, no matter what's going on in, in with the value of your property. Totally. Um, on the residential side, we've seen kind of historic increases in the last year, year and a half. And, you know, Part of it's immigration, part of it's people not actually getting, buying properties, but uh, staying in the rental market or entering the rental market uh, as opposed to purchasing property. What have rents done, let's say, since the the start of these this rate increase environment? Well, I think if you look at it, maybe we can go asset class by asset class is probably a better way to look, sure. at, look at it. So if you look at retail, Right. And retail's coming off of the back of COVID, which obviously had a change to that retail landscape. And I think the retail landscape is still going to continue to change. The mom and pop tie-dye shirt may not be the most desirable tenant moving forward, <laughs> but the dentist is. So I think you got to relook at your retail footprint and your tenant mixes in your buildings. So I don't want to say create pandemic proof, but create a, a, a tenant mix that in challenging times will survive. Right. And when you look at during the pandemic, things that did really well was like pizza, yeah, right? Did really, really well. So when you're looking at that, maybe I don't need to have like the sandwich shop. Maybe I want to have a pizza shop or a sushi place, which has very high takeout percentages to kind of get me through. So I think you got to relook at that. Retail rates overall have been trending upwards and demand is higher. Vacancies are coming down. It feels like new tenancies are moving in. So retail, I would think, would has been trending upwards even during this challenging time, but it is coming off of a low from a couple of years ago, right? right? So that's naturally what you think was going to happen. Offices, I think, are very challenged right now. Do I think, am I optimistic what offices look like in five years? Yeah. I think it's like, we're not a head office city. There's not really a lot of office space when you really look at it from a population growth standpoint. Will everything slowly back up, but how long does it take? No one has that answer. Right. Well, how much does it cost to get there? That could be very expensive for landlords. So maybe the desire so much on that. So to look at the office market, like do rates come off a little bit? Probably. 
But they're also coming off of like record highs from pre-pandemic numbers where vacancy rates were so low and very unhealthy. Landlords could pretty much put up a number. Tenants would fight to get the space at, at numbers that were leasing consistently. I think right now, overall, I mean, numbers haven't fallen. The bottom hasn't fallen by any stretch, but landlords are definitely having to be more, had to incentivize more tenants with maybe more TI or more free rent to get them in to get that number close to and what they were And you're specifically getting. talking about office here. Specifically talking about office there. Industrial is coming off of probably like a decade-long run, it feels like. So, I mean, it can only We've talked more itself. on this show. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not here every week, but I've talked more about industrial in the yeah. last couple of years. I yeah. can't even... And industrial is still good. It's yeah. not that it's bad. It's probably definitely peaked and it's probably also having a little bit of a pull-off. It's like, like we were talking before we hit record, like Apple stock. Apple can only outperform itself so long where then when it doesn't, people are like, oh, it's bad. No, it, you know, it just, we can't change your life every year, Yeah. right? So our stock is going to plateau here, guys. They're still making money. There's still trillions of dollars on a balance sheet somewhere. <laughs> so that's where I think like industrials had a tremendous run. Challenges on the industrial side is, I mean, you probably have a lot of product that's been in the pipeline that's now naturally when an asset class takes off, developers will look at that and say, hey, that's that's the path to least resistance. That's like low-hanging fruit right now. Let's right. go build industrial. So you get a lot of stuff in the supply chain line that comes there. You also have a the industrial Traditionally, especially the smaller stuff is usually the largest percentage of owner-occupiers to investors in it versus retail. I mean, no one's buying like a building on Robson as an owner-occupier, but someone will go buy 2,500 square feet strata industrial for their business. Mm -hmm. So you have that there. So interest rates have obviously played havoc on that. Land prices have been very, very high. Construction costs are at record high. So when you look at all of that, it's kind of a perfect storm for it to slow down. Hmm. And we've seen projects that haven't had the sales that maybe a project previously a year earlier had. Well, right, it would have sold out like some projects. Yeah. yeah. I remember there was a project and I won't use names. I think it was in Langley. And at that time, again, just making numbers up here, maybe it was like 325 a foot for industrial and they came out like at 400. I'm like, pfft. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Like sold like 32 strata lots in like a week. And I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> and and now you're seeing things, now you're seeing projects like north of $700, like 725, 750, 775, like in Poco and Richmond. So you're looking at that product you could have bought probably five or six years ago for half, maybe a third of that price point. So when you throw on there record high construction costs, developers can't really probably drop the prices very much right. because they're paying so much to build and buy. And from a seller standpoint, with interest rates so high, we just talked about loan to value. My money doesn't go as far. I maybe can't buy that property for 2.5. That was 1.25 years ago. So I'm going to sit on the sidelines a little bit and wait. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely probably peaked and has a little bit of regression ahead of it, I think. Uh, I've heard rumbling that there's some industrial projects that normally would just go straight to market now are kind of being put on hold a little bit to kind of let things settle mm-hmm. before they come out there. So like that, those asset class has probably peaked and pulled off, but it, it's had a, just an outstanding run. And rents in industrial... Is the absorption on on well, on I think finding tenants yeah, uh, is that you, kind of sputtered as well? Or? You probably had a lot of investors enter that asset class over the past five years, where they look at the trends on the the, the lease rate stuff. So, I mean, there's still lease rates out there like mid twenties. That I remember doing lease deals in Vancouver like 10, 12 years ago at like single digits, and now you're like three or four times that. Yeah, in some markets. So, do those interest rates come off? If there's a big consortium of investors in there, I would say yes because they want to get things filled. So the investor's kind of like, well, I can't get 21, but let's do 19. Okay. So I think, I think yes, I would say industrial rates have come so off. We're, so just to recap here, we'd say retail's up from lows. Yeah. Office is down from, from highs. highs. Yeah. Industrial is trending down from highs. Yeah. We've already talked about residential rents increasing dramatically over the last year, year and a half. I'm curious about the multifamily space because with the Residential Tenancy Act, landlords are not able to increase those rents. So if you're owning multifamily, those rental increases, you you may not be able to benefit from those. What's the space like right now? Yeah. So multifamily overall has been probably fairly steady. Yes, cap rates have come up and yes, prices are cheap, but the sell-through seems to still be fairly good. The challenge with it is, is like you mentioned there, everything's governed by the RTA leases with these tenants, which has a maximum increase of 2% or 3%, whatever the government brings out per year. But from a landlord perspective, if my costs are going up from garbage, recycling, property taxes, insurances, and so on and so forth, my numbers get squeezed year over year. The other challenge you have there is uh, when you look at maybe a city like New West that has a lot of wood frame walk-up buildings, those buildings have probably a large amount of deferred maintenance on them that needs to get addressed. 
It becomes hard for landlords sometimes when, you, when you're looking at my costs are rising at a far greater pace than maybe my, my, my revenue is, my rents are. I have minimal turnover, if any. So I'm not being able to re-rent them at a higher rate. And then I've got capital costs I got to put into this property. It can always make it very stressful financially and very challenging financially for landlords. So that's the challenge I think the multifamily has. And it's just a function of demand for the product. And as we talked at the start of the show about immigration and all that stuff, that these people are all going to live somewhere, that there's a, a very high level of demand. And that's that's the flip side for it from an investor where you know your yield is lower, but you might have a better amortization through CMHC. But my yield is lower, but my demand is higher. So my vacancy rate will always probably fluctuate very close to zero. That versus maybe a retail building that, I mean, I got a better cap rate on in that, but there could be costs to tenant those properties. There could be costs associated with a vacancy. A lot of those costs may not be the same in multifamily. Okay. So that was a lot based on one question. What was the headline for 2023? My next question for you, Corey, and, and I've got them all in different envelopes here. Okay. So I'm gonna, next one. I'm just going to open up this next envelope. Uh, the biggest surprise for 2023, what surprised you apart from, uh, as we've already talked about, the interest rate kind of yeah. increase after it stalled out? I would say if there was a the biggest surprise, I think the office market heading into the year was probably... Not stable, but maybe questionable, where there was probably a little more optimism out there than what it was. And I think as the year kind of progressed, demand for office became uh, more and more uh, less desirable. Mm-hmm. I think the tech industry, when you look at like the WeWork collapse and that they obviously were a large tenant in Vancouver, the tech industry backfilled a lot of the, the vacancy challenges, if any, during the pandemic. So our, our market felt very stable. It maybe falsely propped up, some might say. And some of those tech companies maybe don't need as much space as they did. So there's been a lot of stuff brought to market on the sublease side of things. I think when you look down south as well, I mean, there's a lot of negative headlines from you know companies that have what they call non-recourse loans, just giving the keys back to the building and saying you deal with it, or to the bank and saying you deal with it. Mm-hmm. So that obviously hasn't really kept it. But then when you look at it too, like, like we had Dan Smith on from Reliance that they have a great class B type portfolio that has an extremely high occupancy rate. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of it is just maybe who you talk to and what asset class, maybe location. Is it a class A building or a class B building? But I think overall, just the sediment of the office industry, I think, was probably a little bit more of a surprise. I don't think anyone was in questioning that the office market is changing, but I think maybe it felt like the past six months or so, it kind of went from like, yeah, it's all right to, ooh, not, not so much right not, now. Not, not so, not yeah. so good. Okay, so that that was the biggest surprise. Two things that I have in my in my notes here. One, this is my big surprise, and I'll put it to you, is that the the negative headlines from the states. It does yeah. seem like the commercial market generally the divergence it, it, between you know the California, the Washington, the Oregon markets, and BC. That that yeah. that seems that that was a surprise on my end. Was that surprising for you? Uh, no, they they kind of, a lot of them go hand in hand. Like there's a lot of negativity out there and stuff like that that's out there in the marketplace. And a lot of that comes from down South because it's a, it's a different economy yep. altogether. And it's, you know, it, get, it rings loud and clear up here. And I think when you look at to our tenant base up here, a lot of tech companies and that stuff where they're all centered in the San Francisco's, the Silicon Valley's of the world, when they don't need as much space and they're dropping stuff, that has ripple effects up here because it's the same type of tendencies. Whether those layoffs echo the exact same numbers that they are in some other communities is yet to probably be seen in some cases. But I think overall, the, you know, the sentiment echoes up here all the time. So it's just, it's a, it's no different than, I mean, someone gets on the six o'clock news and says, housing prices are up, sales are up, everyone gets excited, yeah, right? Not really digging deeper into that. When people see something on, you know, they're on Twitter, or they read something on the news or they don't read something, they hear something on the news, or they read something on Twitter and it's like, oh yeah, this company just gave away its portfolio back to the bank of offices or I mean, that never is a good warm feeling if you're looking <laughs> that at That makes me nervous on the space. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, like I said before, am I bullish on, you know, I mean, the recovery of it over time? Yeah. Especially in Vancouver, because we don't have a lot of office space. We talked before about how there's so much residential development downtown versus office space versus like you might go to Calgary that has a third more office space than Vancouver currently has or will have. They obviously have a, a challenging there, but in their downtown core, they, there's not the residential developments that we have in Vancouver, and we're also landlocked in Vancouver. So, mm-hmm. so I think overall, will it slowly absorb it? The absorption rate pick up, and those things will slowly fill up with time. Yeah, I, I do, but 
there's obviously a cost associated with that. So time is money, as they say. You got it. Okay. The other thing that I was curious about, and this is, I don't know if this is a surprise to you or not. Let's just talk about cap rates because cap rate, the big, the big theme, one of the big themes yeah. on this show up until when interest rates started rising was cap rate compression. We were always talking about cap rate compression, cap rate compression, cap rates going lower. Now that money's more expensive, capital costs to get into the market are higher. What are cap rates doing? Presumably, the expectation is cap rates are, are going higher. So usually there's a spread that a lot of people will try to apply to a cap rate higher than the market interest rates. And right now, those spreads don't make any sense. And as we talked earlier, if I'm a landlord and the market sucks, Subway's paying me 25 bucks a foot. If the market's incredibly good, Subway's paying me 25 bucks a foot. So my income is my income. There hasn't been the fire sale of properties that I think a lot of people thought of. Has there been deals? Yes. Have cap rates come off and people are arguably getting the same product at a discount from where it was? Yes. Do cap rates go back to the crazy cap rates we saw in some communities during COVID? I don't think so. Because when you look at the numbers in January of 2022, the BOC rate was 0.25. Like money was free. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to get back to those levels. So I don't think you're going to see cap rates in some secondary markets, like get that sub four range that we saw and stuff like that. Um, but cap rates haven't really overall come off. Things have definitely sold at maybe a cheaper price point. They maybe have taken longer to sell. There maybe has to be VTB and creativity to create those sales. But if something was a cap rate of four and a half, it's maybe selling around like a five or five and a quarter. It's not selling at like an eight. So that hasn't really materialized from an overall perspective. There is isolated incidences and isolated asset classes in certain markets where things have been more aggressive. But from a market standpoint, from a 30,000 feet up bird's eye view of the province, cap rates didn't double when interest rates doubled. Right. And that, so, and, but there's, so in some, in some ways that doesn't really logically make sense. No. Right. Uh, and now is inventory the, what, what's, what's the reason for that? Lack of, lack, lack of, of inventory. inventory. And like, like so one market we talk about a lot on here is like Nanaimo, which is located on an island. Right. There's no more land. In certain commercial retail nodes, there may be, you know, 25 properties that make up, you know, a couple hundred thousand square feet of high demand area. There's very little of that building that actually will, the buildings will ever come for sale. Yeah, they just, right? it's so, just not the turnover. So when they do, people are looking at them and you're like, yeah, I have to buy it maybe at a little bit more, a little bit higher cap rate. But the fact that asset even came available is one thing. So sellers haven't really had to come to market with a lot. The only people that probably have been squeezed are people that may have had just had really poor timing, not their fault, just economy timing, where they were maybe coming off of a 3.75 commercial rate because they're really good and they got nailed with a six on the renewal or five and a half on the renewal. And they're just like, I just can't make it work. Maybe I have to put money into the building. Yeah. Who knows? So to get to what they call right size the asset. So who knows what would have happened? So people that found themselves in that predicament, they probably had to move property. But besides that, unless you had to sell it, a lot of people just weren't selling it or they'll sell it to you, but they'll sell it to you at their number. Right. Right. So there, so lack of good inventory in a lot of the good markets has always been a challenge for us. And inventory levels haven't shot through the roof that some predicted and cap rates haven't shot through the roof because of that. So overall, fairly steady. Is there, you know, cap rates are higher now than they have been. They have to be to make numbers kind of somewhat work. But, you know, fast forward 2024, 2025, cap compression will probably kick in in the right markets. Those who've acquired good assets now that have upside attached to them will probably be the smartest people in the room in two years. So in that regards, Corey, I guess the biggest surprise is cap rates have not risen in a way that you'd expect, but sales volumes have been relatively low in, in 2023. Yeah, sales sell volumes have definitely been down. Because yeah. there's just not the inventory. Yeah, inventory's been down. I think a lot of that too, sellers have sort of just haven't really had to give away property. So the challenge is sellers have a 2021 price in mind and the buyers here, potentially rates might go up 25 basis points in two months and they want to deal today. Yeah. So there's a, there's a big gap there. Right. And like I said, the rent's the rent. And if they're sitting on a fixed mortgage and their, their payments are easily getting made and tenants are all there, there's no need to sell the asset that, you know, the inventory levels just haven't really been around 
to really drive uh, prices down. So, and and in some cases, then I'm just thinking through if if Benjamin Tal's right yeah. next year, and we need to get him on the show. By the way, if yeah. you have a contact, we had one of our staff members. I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not, but he's like, you have to get Benjamin Tao. And I'm yeah. like, we have Mr. Porter from BMO. Yeah. Right. He's our, he's our Benjamin Tao on this program. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we have to, we have to reach out to him, see if we can get well, him to come he, on. Yeah. He, he would be, uh, he hasn't, he hasn't accepted my LinkedIn invite yet. <laughs> <laughs> that was from three years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was 2021. <laughs> so uh, aside from that, if we, if we do think he's right and uh, the Bank of Canada drops the interest rate a uh, point and a half. This moment may have been, you know, from a fire sale opportunity. Those opportunities may never have emerged. And then we're back into not what we were in, but into a kind of normalized environment where sales volumes go up, transactions go up, yeah. and those cap rates are what they are. And and the the big moment that everybody uh, saw was just was a nothing burger. I think the opportunity that we've seen over the past 12, 16 months, and maybe what we'll see for the next quarter or so, I think is the best, potentially the best buying opportunity we'll see within the decade. And why I say that is anyone can buy a property and make money when the market goes up, but it's where you make a lot of money is when the market goes down. And by that, I mean, if I can buy an asset, and we've been talking about this for the past year, if I can buy an asset in a secondary market, let's say, for example, we're going to go to our, our famous Kelowna Class B Industrial, where I buy a building at, say, a four and a half cap rate on current income. And current income is maybe six, seven, eight dollars a foot with a very low vacancy rate of that asset class in that community. I buy it at a four and a half cap on current income. I renew the tenants, not at six, seven, eight, but at 16, 17, 18. And I look at that cap rate of four and a half that hasn't moved. If that's true, I've almost doubled the value of that building. Now, would that building have sold probably with multiple offers on it two years earlier? Yes. But a lot of people look at it and interest rates are too high. Well, I look at it that if I buy the building, arguably maybe slightly cheaper than what it would have fetched two years ago, mm-hmm. but I have to pay an extra 100000 in interest over three years to stabilize the building, but then my building doubles in value. Well, if the building was 2.5 and it's going to be worth four and a half for argument's sake, would you pay 2.6? For sure you would. You paid three. So if I buy it for 2.5 and arguably I have to pay an extra 100 grand in interest because the rates are too high, well, in my head, I've paid 2.6 and it's still going to be worth 4.5. Like who wouldn't do that deal? The problem is a lot of people can't see through the forest or past the trees. They just shut off when they see the, the interest rates. But right now, if you can find value add opportunities, you might get them at a cheaper price as long as the metrics work that when rates tilt in your favor, maybe it's not a four and a half cap, maybe it's a four cap rate at double the income. So you've you've pointed out an opportunity. It's like you're predicting my last question. Yes. Because my last question is, we've talked about what happened in 2023, but everybody wants to know what's going to happen in 2024. And specifically, what are the big opportunities? Is yeah. what you're outlining there in terms of value add and secondary markets? It sounds like that's clearly one yeah. uh, of the opportunities. But let's let's talk about what asset classes, where you see the opportunities are in 2024. I'll be honest with you, Melissa. Text me the questions. So even uh, <laughs> even though you're opening them in envelopes, I knew what they were ahead of time. So where do I think the biggest opportunity is? So I think okay, I'll, I'll add a caveat to my answer before we start here. Banks lend on historical data appraisals are done on historical data, data from before, the past. Right. Smart buyers buy on future value. So where do I think money is going to be? I still think industrial in the right asset right asset classes will probably always still do really, right? Not asset classes, right area will always probably still do well. But where do I think the biggest money is going to be made in the next 24 months? Good, well-positioned retail in secondary markets. That's where I think all the money is. And and flesh that out. But again, we'll go to Nanaimo for, for argument's sake there. You've got, you know, some certain commercial nodes that have, you know, I mean, your Costco's and your Home Depot's and all that stuff, all you know, I mean, you get them a good retail is a halo effect, right? They all cluster. So if I can get a good building somewhere in there that I'm getting a fair market cap rate on today, that I have 
chances of rents moving in the right direction, that is the best buy you can find right now. And the challenge is you got to convince banks that because banks don't look forward, they look back. Right. So we're all, and so and the and the historical data on retail is not, not it hasn't great. been good for the past couple of years when you have that. But is if I can create a, a good retail mix, as much as I love my dentist, he ain't coming to my house to do my teeth. I still have to go see him or her. I can get Starbucks delivered through DoorDash, but Starbucks still has to have a retail outlet in order to produce the product. If you can get the right things where, and even when you look at it right now, you're heading into 2024. I mean, there might've been some shorter term leases signed in the early part of the pandemic, maybe at discounts that now demand is going. And, and you have to remember is commercial lags residential. So in Nanaimo, where they're on what, I think it's year three now of record setting uh, building permits mm-hmm. issued. Like like we're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars in permits being issued for new buildings. So I, I so let me get this straight. I can go into a secondary market where I can buy the asset at a much better cap rate, call it five or five and a half today. Um, I'm getting lease rates maybe at 19 or 20 that I feel are 28 to 30 in the next couple of years. And population is growing. What I think the cap, what I think the lease rate may be in five years of let's say 28 to 30 Five years from there, it could be 40 because as population comes into these small areas and continue to grow, and I think the was like 110,000 people, give or take. So if it's growing at 2 3% a year, far higher than the normal average, then that's just going to put further pressure and demand on, these, on the good, well-positioned retail buildings where there's not really a lot more of that land getting made because everything is being focused on housing. Mm-hmm. People aren't buying things like, you know, I'm going to buy this piece of land, I'm going to build a strip mall. Right? They're like, hey, we can't pencil those numbers. Let's buy it and build a multifamily building as long as the zoning permits it. So I think if, if someone gave me a, a, a war chest of money and said, I want you to go place this, I would be buying single-story retail, well-positioned single-story retail in uh, markets of no less than 100,000 people. So that's going to be your Kamloops, Kelowna's, and your Vancouver Island communities because um, that keeps demand really, really high. At a cap rate, I think that's going to compress on lease rates that I think are going to grow. So I think within five years, a lot of these well-positioned assets, if all the numbers make sense, what I talked about in that particular purchase, I think you can see a you know 50 to 75% increase on your value of the asset. If you get well-positioned retail below market lease rates, in growing communities of 100,000 people or more that are growing at a faster pace than the uh, national average. You heard it here first, folks. The best way to make money in commercial real estate in the next 24 months. Single story retail, secondary markets. Okay. Well, of course, Corey, we have uh, this segment called the six pack. Do you have time to stick around for that? I want to, we got to revisit these. 100% I will stick around, but I will tell you in advance, my answer is one through six are Nickelback. (laughs) The six-pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, Corey, the first question on the six-pack. What is one book you've read recently? And we know you're a voracious reader. What is one book you've read recently that you'd like to recommend? You know, and, what, and don't don't say Robert Iger because you gave me that one already. Yeah, Robert Iger's, the, the Disney biography is always a good one. I'm going to go back. So we had Bob Knackle on the program a couple episodes ago, who's the legendary New York commercial broker, which I think I would definitely one of our best shows we've done. The takeaways were amazing. Uh, he recommended a book called 10X is Easier Than 2X. And I've heard of other books that have similar topics. So I went and I downloaded it. Yeah. And it pretty much talks about, you know, if you focus your time on your top 20% versus your bottom 80, you'll like 10X yourself. And I'm almost done. I'm not quite done, but I'd highly, I'd recommend it with regards to heading into 2024 from a thought pattern. And then my other book I would recommend for 2024 that gets everyone hyped, ready to go is Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Yeah, that, get, read that. that. Start of the year, get yourself pumped up, ready to go. Then listen to Execution. Good to great. All the all the good ones. 
Okay, and sorry, this book is is 2X. 10X is easier than 2X? 10X is easier than 2X or very similar to that title. It, it's a really- You got to go back and listen to I that gotta, show. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It was a good book. It was, uh, I hadn't listened to it yet, so I'm almost done, but it just gives you some good focal points. Okay. Focus points. Fanta- fantastic. Second question. You're on death row, Corey. What is that one meal you're going to eat? Oh, you know what? Um, we hear so many great ones. I feel I'm going to let everybody down. I'm probably going to go with like spaghetti and meatballs from Boston Pizza. I, <laughs> no, I know. I, I know. Feel like you just let me down. Yeah, honestly. I know. I know. There's probably a lot of hype around like, hey, we're going to Hive Steakhouse or whatever. I'm like, you know, I'm like that. Or I'd probably have like the lobster ravioli from Costco. Like it's not too exciting. Definitely would probably. Yeah. The lobster ravioli yeah, from Costco. Oh, it's, it's great. It's like 20 bucks. You get like two sides of it. It's amazing. You throw us a little bit of cheap sauce in there and some Parmesan cheese. And it's like you're, it's like you're eating you at Giardino's. Make, I'm writing this down. Yeah. Cheap sauce, you say. Oh, cheap. Yeah, yeah. Get the no-name brand. Get like the, the no-name brand from like no-name brand from shoppers of all places. It's great. Yeah, the, the lobster ravioli is so good. The sauce doesn't have to be that good. You can save money on the sauce. It's like when you, you can buy a really expensive belt, save money on the suit. Yeah. You buy you buy the really good passes, save money on the sauce. All right. And we I think I know this one, but we got we gotta stick with the questions here. The one band, your uh your favorite band, something you're listening to. You can't still be listening to Nickelback all the time. Oh yeah, it's sad. It's very sad. I'll say honestly, coming in here today, what did I have cranked in my car? And this is gonna sound very cliche. I had Michael Bublé Christmas going. Okay, this is why you made the comment that at the William Wright Christmas party, Bublé yeah, was yeah. showing up. I, I, when I saw you today, I'm like, hey, tonight we have our William Wright staff Christmas party tonight at the, the Paradox Hotel. So I was like, hey, are you coming tonight? And you're like, no, I'm like, Michael Bublé is performing. And you looked at me like, damn, I'm coming now. <laughs> yeah. But I was only saying that because he was still playing in my ears. Yeah. So I would say Michael Bublé's Christmas album, Nickelback, obviously. And then the rest of the year. Then Luke Combs. Luke Combs is, I like Luke Combs, country. Yeah, he was really good. All right. And are you singing any of these if you're a little wobbly doing oh, karaoke? What, what am I what am I doing? It's uh this is an easy one. Someday by Nickelback. Okay. Someday, <laughs> somehow, we're gonna de-nickelback with too many beverages in us. And right. that day could be April 19th, because they're playing BC Place. Is that right? They are. You know, it's funny. We had Jeff King, the CEO of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Yeah. I don't know if you you heard that one. I did, yeah. So, and I think I, we've talked about this uh, on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast in the intro or outro, I can't remember. Uh, but he's also, he's he's been to, to what's the Nickelback guy's name? Uh, Chad, Chad Kruger. Kruger. Yeah. And you've, you have friends who've, who've went to yeah. vacations with him on yeah. the yeah, islands yeah, yeah. and everything else. Jeff King went to his house and he didn't want to detail, but all he said is that guy knows how to party. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely, I, I did listen to that episode. I was going to give it a 14 star rating, but only allowed to give me five okay, okay. because of your, your guests' opinions on music. Okay. All right. So we got two more questions very quickly here. Uh, we'll save the best for last and the most, the most useful, but at Christmas vacation, holiday vacation, we're, we're going, you're, you're a Hawaii guy. Are you headed to Hawaii? No, not this year. We're doing the Western Bay shore. And I think we learned our lesson last year because we went to Disneyland. Yeah. I know it sounds very repetitive. And we went to Disneyland, they had the freak snowfall and it took us like probably like 14 hours to get home from Anaheim. I missed the flight so, in Montreal. Because so my I wife's think- like, we're not doing anything this year. So we're going to the Western Bay shore for a couple of days and we'll do some dining in Vancouver. We'll, uh, well, the kids will go play in the pool, indoor pool. And uh, we'll just do a couple of things just around here. And then we'll tackle the travel scene again, probably in spring break. Sounds relaxing. And last but not least, uh, Corey, after all the accolades you've had this year, and uh, I'm reading this from my sheet, after all the accolades you've had this year, and and as a titan of industry, <laughs> what is what are you what what's your one New Year's resolution? Uh, you've already you've already got one in the can here, but what are you, what is your resolution for 2024? Well, let's let's get a few things straight. I don't know what accolades you're talking about, and titan of industry. I think you have the wrong guest on here. I can barely get the receptionist to listen to me in the office. <laughs> For what is my resolution for 2024? I'm going to say I would like to, uh, I don't even know if I have, I'm going oh, pe- to gonna, you... Peloton faster. Okay. Yeah. Cause my Pelotoning in 2023 hasn't Oh, I worked. thought you were good. I thought you had some, some uh, great resolution. I don't have us. resolutions. I have goals. Okay. <laughs> that, 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 hey, 
There's wisdom in that alone. There's wisdom in that alone. Talk about an arrogant statement. No, I, I, I have to get in better shape. I started this year off like midway through the year. Yeah. I got into like some fairly decent shape. The holidays have sort of come upon us and so has bread and lots of pasta. So I'm slowly deteriorating where I literally was at Harry Rosen the other day buying fat pants, I call it, for, to get me through the holidays because all my other pants didn't fit. Uh, so I've got fat pants on right now, which my fat pants typically traditionally become my pants <laughs> by Christmas. And then I got to get back in shape. So I'm going to say I'm going to do my best to get in really good shape in, in 2024. That's going to be my get, resolution. Get, get back into, into uh, shape. Do okay. you have any resolutions yet? You know what? I don't. I'm, no. I'm, uh, I feel like I, I wait till the, the week of where I'm really off to kind of sit down Figure and it out. reevaluate. Although a lot of people, it seems like a lot of the, the smart people I know in the industry do this all in November. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of planning. <laughs> I usually make really my goals my by February. I usually roll them out <laughs> to see yeah. if I'm on track or not. Yeah. But, uh, I guess we'll finish with, uh, try the lobster ravioli. The lobster ravioli <laughs> from Costco. It's like two packs. One pack is a meal pretty much, not maybe family size, but I think it's like 20 or 25 bucks. So you divide that by two meals. It's like yeah. 15 bucks a meal. Not bad value. With tax, you throw in like the $1.99 sauce, get the cheap old craft stuff. You just dump on top. Yeah. Like going to Giardino's. All right. And how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright Commercial Real Estate? They can reach out to us anytime at our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. Happy to help put you in touch with any of our great brokers throughout the province. They can send me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Let me know what you're thinking. Show ideas. Uh, very fortunate. I get quite a few emails on a consistent basis of people that like the show, people that have suggestions for the show. Uh, or they can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. Okay. Sounds good. And we'll uh, be back in 2024. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. I was going to say, Christmas. I was going to, what was the, uh, uh, I was listening to the podcast the other day when I s surprised you guys and walked in. Oh, yeah. And Adam did the whole Oh, yeah, what yeah, was yeah. That? The, the that private was the client services. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen. That was the greatest thing I saw in 2023. <laughs> I was amazed. That was great. <laughs> we'll leave it there. It is, it is, it does sound like a recording. I'll be honest He's with got... you. For years, I thought Braden just dropped that in or yeah. James put that in. I didn't realize he actually does that every single we episode. We don't have systems, man. There's no such thing. And that, and the thing with that episode was all about AI on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take Merry care, Christmas. everyone. Subscribe today.